in a series, if you're visiting with us or you're watching online, we're in a series called Seven, and uh, we're talking about the seven deadly sins or the uh, seven capital sins and the seven cardinal virtues. I'm doing the sins, I mean preaching on the sins. Uh, matter of fact, by today's topic, I may be doing today's topic. Um, and uh, the rest of the staff are preaching on the virtues. And so today our topic is eating or being eaten. Do we live to eat or do we eat to live? So I want you to stand with me, if you will. And uh, we're looking, if you got your device or you got your Bible, uh, we're looking at Judges chapter 3, the book of Judges. So if you're not familiar with the scriptures, just go to the very beginning of the book and go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the Joshua, and then you'll come to the book of Judges. Uh, now, I just want to say a couple things before uh, I'm going on, we're going on vacation this afternoon. And, uh, but so uh, you're going to be rid of me for a couple of weeks. And, uh, but a couple of things I want to say. First of all, um, there's somebody I want you to pray for. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but Dennis Monahan, who's one of our board members actually, has been away from church for about three months. And, um, and he hasn't been to a board meeting, I think, in a, about two board meetings because he can't sit or he can't stand. And he has a disc in his back that they're awaiting surgery for. So when you're praying, please pray for Dennis Monahan. And uh, so we want to pray for him. Also, we want... Now, I'm going to tell you something, and you've got to promise me. So if I tell you this, that you won't do it right away, you'll wait till after the service. Okay? Yeah, raise your hand if you'll wait till after the service. No, that's not good enough. I'm not telling you unless I get 75%. That how many will you not do what I'm going to tell you about in a moment until after the service? Okay, good enough. Uh, we have a brand new website. And I want to thank uh, Mike um, Thompson for the uh, photography, and then Gene Belowski and Aaron Brubaker, Pastor Scott, for putting it together. It's quite lovely. Um, and if you're looking for sermon notes this morning, I shouldn't tell you this, but they're on gtgtsudbury.ca slash notes if you're looking for them. And uh, you can do that. And the other thing that I just want to mention, actually, there's two things that I want to mention, is that uh, you, many of you know that Cynthia McKenzie is our board treasurer and our church treasurer, and today she's turning 50. Yes, yes. Now, Cynthia, the good news about turning 50 is that you're still young. Don't listen to the 30-year-olds, okay? At 50, in your 50s, you're still young, but you got all this life experience. It's, it's, the, it's the bliss of the 50s, I'm telling you now. And the other thing I wanted to tell you, wow, the other, this is like the announcements after the announcements. Uh, you're going to be sitting for a long time, so you're going to be thankful that you're standing for a long time. Um, so anyway, the other thing I wanted to tell you is that this is the year at Glad Tidings Church of Pregnancies. And we have nine uh, couples that are going to have babies, but it's also the year of first-time parents. The manuals and the, the scrutins and the crouches, and now we have the Thompsons. And Mike and Laura Thompson are going to be first-time grandparents, their daughter, their, daughter, their daughter, Sarah, and Joel, their son-in-law, are going to have twins. <laughs> Tell you what, sounds like a fertility cult here at Glad Tidings Church, doesn't it? 
We're not responsible, but we sure are happy. So let's read the text together. And this is what it says. I'm reading the blue, and you're going to read the black. And it says this, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, Jericho. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Jerah, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. Oh, the worst is bad yet to come, trust me. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols of Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. And he did not pull the sword out of his his belly, and the dung came out. It's in the Bible. Not my fault, sorry. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened it. And there he lay, their Lord dead on the floor. Don't you love the Bible? I really do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your your exhibition, your demonstration of love through Jesus Christ. And for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes all that you have accomplished in Jesus and have applied it and is applicable to our lives through the Holy Spirit. And so today we ask, as we look at your word, that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, hearts to understand, minds to comprehend. And Lord, that you would help us in our physical, geographical locations to live out your truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want you to be seated. So, got a question for you. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on gluttony? Raise your hand. Okay, about eight of us. Now, I want you to know, I want you to know that I know that some of us in the room today, many of us today, probably are going to feel a little bit uneasy 
in the sermon. So what I want you to do now is turn to your neighbor and say, it's okay if I feel uneasy in the sermon today. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, I just want you to know that it's okay if you feel uneasy in the sermon today. And I want you to know that I'm going to be feeling uneasy preaching this sermon today. So just so that we're all clear. I was preparing this message and I was thinking to myself, I would um, love to hear some of the comments that are going to be made at the lunches after this sermon later today. But talking about gluttony is difficult for a number of reasons. First of all, is that our hypocrisy is obvious. If we overeat, it's pretty obvious. The other thing that makes it awkward is that there are, no, there are not very many texts in the Bible that directly or even indirectly talk about gluttony. And the few that are there, if you'll notice on the back side of your notes, I've listed them for you toward the end there. The other thing that's interesting is that Jesus doesn't make it any easier because he himself was called a glutton and a drunkard, probably because he actually lived a little. The other reason why it's difficult to preach on gluttony is that our answers are a little fuzzy. And we like answers. We like remedies for our problems. We like to give them and we like to have them. The remedy for sin, of course, is the cross. And the remedy for pride is humility. And the, the uh, remedy for envy is kindness. But what's the remedy for overeating? What is it? Is it white-knuckle dieting? Is it avoiding fast food restaurants? Is it prayer? And I would think that the average person wants more than just an answer that says, don't overeat. The other thing that is true is that the whole topic is a bit elusive. What exactly is gluttony? And how do we nail it down? I mean, everybody has to eat, and occasionally we all overeat. It's not the worst thing that we've ever done in our lives. So, in order to talk about gluttony, we need to understand what gluttony is and what it is not. So what is gluttony? Well, I think one of the first things that we probably think about is people who overeat. Now, for those of you who are a little older and are familiar with Monty Python, then you'll appreciate Mr. Creosote. Now, I used a fictional character because I thought that might be the safest. But in the movie, and I only watched a little bit of it, by the way, I did not watch Monty Python's the movie, the, the film, The Meaning of Life, and I'd recommend that you not as well because of the little clip that I saw. But, but Mr. Creo, Creosote comes into the restaurant and he orders everything on the menu and gorges himself. That's the point. So that's gluttony for a lot of people. The other thing that we might think about is body size. 
or our body image or our BMI, which is uh, the measurement of body fat based on our weight versus our height. Now, that's one of the things actually that stands out in our text. A couple of things about our text that we need to identify. First of all, is that Eglon, king of Moab, is presented as being a very fat man. Now, in fairness to the text, the story is filled with intrigue and deception. Ehud comes in, is a left-handed man, the Bible tells us, which is unusual in the Bible. That's why it's stated. And of course, most soldiers were right-handed, but he had his, the sheath of his sword on his right side. So when he reached in for it, he, uh, the uh, Elgon probably thought he was bringing out some sort of scroll, but he actually brought out a sword that he had fashioned, and he assassinates Elgon. But the fact that he was a very fat man is highlighted twice in the text. And any time the Bible highlights something twice in the text, we're supposed to pay attention to it. Now the second thing I want to say, and I want to rush on to say this, is that there are many reasons why a person's body weight might be too much or too little. Body size is not always the result of gluttony. However, in the text, King Elgon, or Eglon rather, his size is a factor. Now, Pastor Kevin wants you to know that it's not just about food or waistline. I was getting ready this week for this sermon, and uh, he asked me what it was about, and I said, it's about gluttony, and right away he said, I want you to know it's not about food, just about food and waistline. So I told him I was going to quote him. So you've been quoted. Now he's right. He's right. Gluttony is not just about food and waistline. But he's also wrong because it is as well. According to the description of King Eglon of Moab, we would describe him today as being a man who is obese. And generally, when we think of gluttony, we look to someone who is overweight, but that, is that really the case? We know that gluttony in the narrow sense is an obsession with food, and we'll get to that in a moment. But what we forget is that an obsession with food runs both ways. And what I mean by that is this, is that there are extremes. And the extremes are from obesity, to the fitness culture slash craze, and to eating disorders. We know that obesity is the scourge of the 21st century. Somebody has referred to it as the black plague of the 21st century. The Childhood Obesity Foundation says that childhood overweight and obesity has risen steadily in Canada in recent decades. Between 1979 and 2004, the combined pre prevalence of overweight and obesity among those aged 2 to 17 increased from 15 to 26 percent. And currently, currently, in Canada, 59 percent of the population is either overweight 
or obese. Now, there are other reasons, of course, for our obesity in our culture. It's not just that we eat a lot of bad food. Inactivity is also connected to obesity. And that brings us then to another extreme, indirectly or directly, that relates to obsession with food. The fitness culture that morphs, that morphs into the fitness craze. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with going for a jog, going for a run. There's nothing wrong with um, working out regularly. It's healthy. You should do it. We should do it. We should all do it. It should be a part of our lives. But I think somebody said it best when we talk about the fitness craze, said this. Modern gluttony is seen not only in the bulging midriffs, high blood pressure, poisoned livers, bottled noses, and bad bad breath, it is also seen in our newfound dedication to health and fitness. Our gods are not our bellies, but our flat abdomen muscles, six-packs, washboard abs, and three of our fanatical devotion to dieting, health food, and drug taking. And those who are caught in the fitness craze are just as obsessed with food as are those who are obese. Thirdly, on the one hand, we've got the overeaters. And then on the other hand, we've got the undereaters. Now, we don't like to talk about it because it is complex, it is complicated, it is multi-layered. But eating disorders are also connected to food. They're also linked, of course, to culture and media. But none of that answers our question, what is gluttony? So how do we answer the question? Well, Thomas Aquinas said this. He said, gluttony denotes not any desire or eating of, of eating or drinking, but an inordinate desire. And that's what gluttony is. Gluttony is an inordinate desire. There is nothing wrong with food. Food is neutral. It is amoral. I was reading this week, and doing a little bit of research, and did you know that the ancient Romans were known for their lavish banquets, their groaning tables, their appalling matters, and their vomitoriums? They would literally eat so much that they would have this room where they would go and empty their stomachs so they could actually come back and gorge themselves. I actually read of one senator who had his servants walk backward in front of him to hold up his stomach. Philippians says... Maybe Paul was talking about this, I don't know. Their end is their destruction, and their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. By the way, put your seatbelt on. Do you know what the quintessential symbol of gluttony is today, in 2017? You're not going to like it. Anybody want to guess? 
the all-you-can-eat buffet. Told you you weren't going to like it. I just probably ruined a couple of lunches there. Someone once said to me, their observation about all-you-can-eat buffets, they said, you know, have you ever noticed that there's something barbaric about an all-you-can-eat buffet? And you know what? Every time I've gone to one, I've thought about that statement. And I think it's true. I think it's true. Greed is excessive love of money. Lust is excessive love of sex. Gluttony is the excessive love of food and inordinate desire. Now, if gluttony is an issue, and if food is an issue, the overindulgence of food is an issue, then shouldn't we ask the question, why? Why? Why is gluttony such a problem? Why is it that we are, we have an inordinate desire for food? Why is it that we have an excessive love of food? Why? Is it possible that we are ensnared by something other and it just comes out in the way we eat? Somebody said the danger is not just what we eat, but what is eating us. So what is eating us? Gluttony is the gratification of an inordinate appetite. But what appetites are we talking about? Which appetites are we trying to satisfy? What is it that we're trying to fix? And we're trying to do it by eating. Now, we know that some people eat to compensate for boredom. We're bored, so we eat. Life is not as exciting and stimulating as we would hope, but food is always there and it always tastes so good. Others compensate for emotional emptiness. And I think we're all smart enough to know that we can fill our bellies and stuff our faces, but our hearts will still be empty. There's a cartoon of a man and his wife, and they're standing in front of a cafe. And on the, the window of the cafe, there is a, a sign And it reads this. Specializing in meals that leave you bloated and lethargic. Followed by self-loathing. The man turns to his wife and says, Man, I liked it so much better when they called it comfort food. Me too. Me too. Some people overeat to compensate for the cruelties of life. Are we overeating as a form of self-medicating? Do we overeat as a way to self-soothe? 
Uh, Do we overeat to compensate for some emotional pain that we feel, that we've experienced? And some people overeat because they're addicted to food. Hey, do do you know where the word gluttony comes from? It comes from the Latin word glutire. Do you know what it means? It means to gobble down or to swallow. So the question is, we might wonder then who's being gobbled down and who's being swallowed. Somebody wrote, we are consuming, and at the same time, we are being consumed. And one of the questions that comes to my mind, then you got to wonder who's really at the top of the food chain. Gluttony is a craving for food that conquers us. Now, coming back to the text again, I said a moment ago that Eglon's Size was a factor in the text, but it also was a factor in his death. That overeating and undereating in our culture is a serious health issue. From clogged arteries to heart disease, diabetes, sleep apnea, strokes, and there's a whole list of other things. In other words, gluttony is killing us physically. But it's also killing us in another way. It's also killing us in another way. We think of gluttony not as a spiritual issue. We don't think of it as as a sin, but more of something that we do that's not real smart, that may be unwise, a, a momentary indulgence that we'll compensate for tomorrow. We may not think of gluttony as a serious spiritual issue or as a sin, But gluttony bears all the marks of sin. At the root of gluttony is idolatry. Idolatry. Just as as greed idolizes possessions and lust idolizes sex, greed idolizes food. Gluttony makes us It makes our bodies idols. And we end up worshiping our desires rather than God. You see, gluttony takes a created thing and magnifies it beyond its actual significance. Food is good. And eating is essential. But gluttony takes something that is essential and something that is good to our human society and it lifts it out of its place. Gluttony distorts both food and eating. Gluttony robs food and eating of their real value and it gives them a false value. It gives them a false power. Food cannot fix us. Food cannot fix me. Food cannot fix you. But here's the good news. And you're glad, right? Here's the good news. That God uses our brokenness. Stop for a moment. 
and let that seep in. God uses our brokenness. Somebody said that where you fall is actually where you discover the gold. And that's true not just for overeating or undereating. That's not just true for about food. It's true about greed. It's true about lust. It's true about relationships. It's true about drugs. It's true about alcohol. It's true about anything. We usually find the gold where it is that we fall. Because when we fall, when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we drop the ball, it's there that we discover the gold of God's grace and forgiveness and His power and His redemption. So what do we do? Rules are not going to help any more than telling somebody to don't overeat. The issue is not our bodies. The issue is our hearts. And following rules can no more change and transform our hearts than a diet can transform our hearts. The only way that we will ever change is by allowing God into our lives and allowing Him to work in us to transform our hearts and to change us. Let me say it again. The only way that we will change is by allowing God into our lives and allowing Him to work in us, transforming our hearts and changing us. There's a a beautiful line in an old, old hymn that I found this week. And it's this. Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. And we are called to be free. Paul said to Timothy, he said, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear. And I will add failure, but of power and of love and of self-control. Dallas Willard, in a book called The Divine Conspiracy, talks about the five habits of freedom. The five habits of freedom. Solitude, silence, study of Scripture, prayer, and service to others. Do you know what all of these have in common? Do you know what all of these help us to do? They help us to expand our God palette. And sometimes what we need to do is that we need to sit alone and in silence 
And let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and reveal the deeper emotional and spiritual issues behind the sin of gluttony. So what I'd like you to do right now is this. I want you to take a moment to think about your life. Not about your spouse, not about your parents, not about your children, not about your friends, not about another Christian, but about yourself. I want us to just take a moment and to think about our own lives. And I'd like you to do that by closing your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about your life. And I got three things specifically that I want you to think about. Here's the first one. How in the past have I let my own spiritual passion and desires... Sorry. How in the past have I allowed my own sinful passion and desires take God's place? If you're watching online, I'd encourage you as well, just close your eyes, think about your life. And think about this question, how in the past have I let my sinful passions and desires take God's place? Second, how have I gotten things out of proportion? Is my desire and love for other things or other people greater than my desire for God and the things of God? How have I gotten things out of proportion? Just think about it. And the third one is probably the most important. Third one is this. How have I tried to fix my problems? Either by following a set of rules or letting go and indulging in whatever I wanted to. Whether it's food, Materialism, the obvious, alcohol and drugs, pornography, shopping. The list goes on. How have I tried to fix my problems? By either following the rules or by just letting go and indulging in whatever I wanted to do. Well, your eyes are closed, and I want you to keep them closed for a moment. I want to pray for you. Then I want to ask you one more question. I want to pray for us. Nobody in the room, nobody watching online is exempt from this. 
because this is about humanity here. Father, again, we're always grateful for the living Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living Word. And we're thankful for the honesty of the written Word. And we are asking now, in this moment of silence, of sitting alone, although we may be with other people, alone in our own private space as individuals. This is your theater of operation. When we are still, when we are thinking, and when we are alone, These are what Willard refers to as the habits of freedom. Father, I pray today for every one of us. Whatever it is right now that you have put your finger upon that is forefront in our minds, it may be food, it may be gluttony, but it might be something else. Whatever it is that you have got your finger on in our lives, help us. Help us to surrender it to you now. And some of it is pleasurable. Sin does have pleasure. And we don't want to let it go because we like it. We enjoy it. But today would be a day where we'd say, Lord, I'm going to let it go for the sake of our relationship and my spiritual growth. And Father, I pray and ask now for the power, the presence, and the goodness of the Holy Spirit to speak into my heart, to speak into our heart. We ask this in Christ's name.